plan from the beginning to bring us into unity with you at the end. The amazing, miraculous foresight you have to send your son to die for us um, as a perfect sacrifice. Jesus, thank you for coming for us to die for us, uh, for choosing to love us more than you loved your own life. Uh, thank you for sending your spirit. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in. Thank you for being with us this morning. Uh, we pray that you um, do your job, bind us together in love, and make us more like Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so it's Christmas. Uh, my wife loves Christmas. Don't you? You do. Um, it's a wonderful time, right? It really is. And you step back and think about it. Um, we're celebrating the birth of our Savior. And, of course, we all know his birthday is on December 25th, but we choose this day to celebrate when he came and was born for us. Um, my wife just gets into the spirit. And she's so cute. Uh, she, no, I, I absolutely adore her. Uh, she, thankfully, she waits until after Thanksgiving. Um, but the Friday after Thanksgiving, as soon as she gets a chance, she gets out of all, all of her Christmas stuff and, um, she goes around the house singing Christmas carols to herself and decorating the house for Christmas. And it is so cute. And I'm kind of a Scrooge, but that's all right. Um, I still admire that. We went to New York because um, she wanted to see Christmas in New York, and it was it was pretty cool. It was cool. Uh, you know, I don't get into Christmas very much, but um, it was cool to see um, you get an energy there that you don't always get everywhere because people go to New York for Christmas. And so you get this energy of an excitement um, that I don't always feel, but it, it kind of reverberates within you. Um, we walked around New York miles and miles and miles every day. My wife uh, walked through a pair of boots, uh, literally tore the sole out of one of her boots. She lost her soul in New York. <laughs> Uh, no, but it, it was cool. It was, um, you know, it was a worldly representation of how we should be as a church, uh, in the spirit. And we feel it. Everybody feels there's a, there's a, um, depression that comes upon people this time of year. And whether that's because of, the lack of sunlight, uh, you know, seasonal affective disorder, um, which is real up there. It gets dark so early up there, and I hated it. It's like 4 o'clock, and it gets dark, and man, I'm glad we live down here. At least it stays dark, or stays light till like 5.30. But we feel it. You feel it in the church. There's like a, oh, Christmas is coming. You know, we're happy for it, but... 
It's like, I got to do this. I got to do this. We, we turn into Martha's in the sense where it's like, we look at everything we have to do and we don't look at what we're celebrating all the time. Um, so with that, I'm going to try to get into the Christmas spirit. Um, this was, uh, the birth of Jesus was something that was looked forward to since Moses, since Abraham, since the garden. And really when you look at it, it's, it was the plan from the beginning. So creation has longed to see this day for millennia. And it finally happened and it happened in such a quiet, non-obtrusive way that most people missed it. And, uh, God is just so good the way he does things. Um, I was looking back at, um, some of the prophecies about Jesus' birth, some of the prophecies about Jesus in general, over 300 of them. So, some of y'all know how many exactly. It's like 330 something. How many is it, Grandpa? 330 specific prophecies about Jesus and what he would accomplish in his life that all came true. Um, and I don't know how they figured the math on this, but one of the websites I saw said if, if one person fulfilled eight of them, it, the odds of that are one in 10 to the 17th power. That's, that's a one with 17 zeros after it. Um, that's eight prophecies. For 48 of them, it's one in 10 to the 157 power. So that's a one with 157 zeros after it. Um, for over 300, obviously it's a miracle. Um, specifically, if you look at some of them like born of a virgin, that has to be a miracle, right? Some people could be born in Bethlehem. Some people could have gone to Egypt and brought back from Egypt. Um, Logically, some people could fulfill some of those. But for Jesus to have fulfilled all of these is just miraculous. Um, so I looked at some of these. Micah 5.2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. That is the prophecy fulfilled at the beginning of Matthew. In the book of Matthew specifically, one of the things Matthew was doing was um, showing all the prophecies fulfilled in Jesus' life. That's sort of why Matthew is important as a book, aside from just the account of Jesus. Um, so in Matthew 1, sorry, let's go to 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. So he was born in Bethlehem. Similarly in Luke 2, Matthew and Luke are the accounts of Jesus' birth. Luke 2, uh, 4, so Joseph also went up. From the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem in the town of David because he belonged to the house and the line of David. Uh, God worked it out. You see the genealogy in Matthew. Um, Christ from David from... Is that the one that goes back to Adam? 
No, that one, that one goes back from Abraham. Is it Mark that goes from Adam? Nope. Is it Luke? One of them goes back to Adam. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Uh, Jesus, well, technically we all come from Adam. Um, It is Luke. Yeah. Um, So that was the first one I saw that was fulfilled. Uh, The second one, born of a virgin, Isaiah 7. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning God with us. This is the uh, whole purpose Jesus came to bring God to us. Uh, And when he left, he left his spirit with us. Um. Matthew 1, 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Um, in Luke, you see the account of, of uh, let's see, Luke one thirty four. So this is Mary. In Luke, you see Mary's account. In, in Matthew, you see um, Joseph's account. So they were they were engaged, right? And she was a virgin, and she turns up pregnant. And it would take an angel coming to me to say, marry her, that, that she's... That God did this, right? If your wife came and told you, yeah, God did this. Uh, I wouldn't believe it. Uh, maybe that is my lack of faith, but I think that's just <clears throat> how we are as people. Uh, so jo- Joseph had in mind to put her away without, put her away quietly with, uh, so as not to expose her to public disgrace, um, to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, this is Matthew one twenty. an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. In Luke, you see an angel come to Mary and say, uh, greetings. This is uh, Luke one twenty eight. Greetings, you who are highly favored, for the Lord is with you. And Mary, greatly troubled at this, at his words, wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give you the, the throne uh, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked, since I am a virgin? 
And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. So we don't see, aside from this little glimpse into how this took place, we don't see um, what a struggle it must have been for both of them. Uh, For Mary to be pregnant, to know in her heart that she remained pure and did what was right, and God did this thing to her as a good thing. Um, But nobody else sees that. Uh, we don't see into Joseph's life um, what it must have been like for him to have to explain, maybe not even explain, just endure the looks and the criticism of his family and his friends who, dude, your girl's pregnant. And you didn't, you say you didn't do it, so why are you with her? Um, there's no satisfactory explanation that he could have given. There's no satisfactory explanation that she could have given. They both faced criticism and yet chose obedience um, in the face of uh, a guaranteed trial. They both chose uh, a sort of suffering, um, suffering which led to them learning obedience you look in Hebrews 5, Hebrews 5, 8 says, this is talking about Jesus, although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, and was designated by God to be the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Jesus came to be the perfect high priest for us, to suffer it says he, he learned obedience from what he suffered and was made perfect. The same call that was upon his life, it was necessary that his parents, his earthly parents, Mary and Joseph, endure that same test of obedience through suffering in order to even conceive a child like that. It was a... Um, it's like a... It's a circle. Jesus came to give us this ability, but they had to be a type and shadow of this ability to let it into the world, as it were. Um, it was a, it's a faith that comes only because the Holy Spirit was with them, only because the word of the Lord came to them. Uh, God did all of this. He gets all the glory for it. It's this amazing, beautiful picture of how we are to be like Jesus how he came to be the example for us and we are to exemplify him, be his bride. Um, and we see this this theme echoed, unfortunately, over and over and over in the Bible. Um, I say unfortunately, that's, that's the way our flesh would look at it. Um, James 1, 
2. Consider it pure joys, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work that you may become mature and complete, not lacking anything. In order for us to fulfill the promise that God made to himself, made to Jesus, that he would give Jesus a perfect bride, in order for that to be fulfilled, we must endure the same suffering that Jesus endured to give us the right to suffer, if that makes sense. Jesus came and died for us to give us the freedom to choose to suffer like he did because it's through that suffering that we learn obedience just like he did. It's through that suffering that we learn perseverance, that we become mature and complete, not lacking anything. So Mary and Joseph both went through, endured, chose to go through this test of will you choose obedience, although it will cost you Everything, anything, everything. Um, Romans 8 has the same theme. Romans 8 is maybe the best chapter in the Bible for my money. And there are certain things that we love to pick out, right? Right? We know that in all these things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. We love that. We love that we can cry out to him, Abba, Father. We love that if God is for us, who can be against us? We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We love these things, right? How do we share in those things? Uh, it says, though, starting in verse 14, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. So just to take a time out, Mary and Joseph were both led by the Spirit of God. They chose to be obedient. So therefore, they entered into sonship right there. That was them entering in by faith. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. We love to hear that we can share in his glory. And sometimes we tune out to the fact that we must share in his sufferings if we are to do that. But it pales in, com- in comparison. I consider that our present sufferings are not worthy to be compared to the glory that we will be revealed in us. So there's good news. It's it's a struggle. I mean, this is faith, right? We're struggling against your flesh because you hold on to a hope that is in the Spirit. Um, a hope that you have no sufficient reason, no satisfactory explanation that you know it's true except that God told you it's true. Um. So we share with Jesus just as we share. We share in his sufferings so that we may share in his glory. Galatians talks about the same thing. Galatians, uh, Paul was writing to the Galatians, a church that he had started in Galatia, obviously. And uh, he was writing to them after the fact, very disappointed in them that they left basically what he had told them. And we're starting to follow 
other practices. Uh, Galatians 3 starts out with, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Um, we should take note of Galatians. Galatians 3, 4. Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? So the, dichot- the, the difference between what he brought and what they were turning to is obviously freedom versus back to the law. And, and this is a fight that never goes away. This is a fight that continues today. 326, uh, you all are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Jesus, into Christ, having clothed, your, clothed yourself with Christ. Therefore, uh, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male nor free, female, for you are all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are of Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I'm going to get back to that in a minute. Uh, for... 29 says, At that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born in the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. He's talking about Ishmael and Isaac, the son born the natural way. Ishmael persecuted uh, Isaac because he was the son of the promise. And this... This is a spiritual attitude that continues from that time until eternity. If you turn to Revelations 2, the church of Smyrna, 2, 8. And to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the... Slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Um, Galatians was, was... being attacked by the synagogue of Satan, those who say they are believers and yet want to enslave you back into a theology of works, a theology of, well, not Jesus. Jesus didn't come to tell you you have to do anything except be obedient to him. To the, Those who obey the Spirit are the sons of God, not those who obey the law. So I say this um, as an everlasting principle in, in creation that those who are to be made perfect like Jesus, uh, theoretically all of us in here want to be made perfect like Jesus, to not fear the suffering that is assured to come, but to know that it grows us into somebody that will be Christ's bride. We will be perfect just as he is perfect when he comes back for us. And 
how we look, how we act, how we think. We will be just like him. We have to be just like him. Otherwise, there can be no unity between us and Christ. Do not be deceived. Another um, prophecy, Psalm 72. Seventy-two nine. The desert tribes. Actually, start in verse eight. He will rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. The desert tribes will bow before him, and his enemies will lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and of the distant shores will bring tribute to him. The kings of Sheba and Seba will present him gifts. All kings will bow down to him. All nations will serve him. We see this fulfilled with the visit from the Magi, the, the wise men from the east. In Matthew 2, uh, during that time of King Herod, the Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who, who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Similarly, uh, the other side of that we see fulfilled in Luke to the desert tribes, the shepherds, came to glorify him after he was born. The desert, uh, the angel appeared to the shepherd. Uh, shepherds two eight, and there were shepherds living in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, "Do not be afraid." I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of angel uh, of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left him and gone into the heaven, The shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning the child. And all who heard him were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as had been told. Um. There's an interesting parallel. The angel says, or they're singing, right? Um, Praising and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. It's very similar to the language that angel uses when he talks to Mary. Um, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. In both instances, the angels do two things. They reassure them that they're found favor with God and tell them not to be afraid. It's um, it's easy in hindsight for us, having not been there, really witness the, the majesty that these angels must have brought with them to just sort of, oh yeah, angels appeared and they were singing. But these were 
shepherds that were bombarded in the middle of the night by essentially an army of angels. It must have been terrifying. Mary was a child. And to have the weight of creation thrown on her, that you will bear the Son of God that will save all of mankind is terrifying. Similarly, the the spiritual call that we are called to walk out is beyond us. The enemies that we go to fight are greater than we are. The Israelites walked out in the flesh exactly what we walk out in the spirit that we go to battle against spiritual forces that we cannot contend with. And yet God tells us to go because God goes before us and he is the one who gains the victory. The weapons with which we fight are not weapons of this world. We fight with obedience. We take our stand against the devil and his schemes Not because we know that we can overpower him, but we know that if we stand in faith and obedience, that God will win for us. And the same word that was given to Joshua by Moses, don't be afraid. They had to tell the Israelites over and over and over again, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of them. God goes before you. It's God who fights for you. It's very easy. It would be easier to walk what they went through. Going into the promised land, seeing their enemy before them, and understanding their fight. That's as hard as that would be. That would be easier than our call is to remember that We are actually in a war. That the war that we are in is not on the surface. That the war we are in is spiritual. And yet it's the same war. The enemy is just under the surface. We see a further fulfillment of this. That is to take place in the future. Romans 14, 11. Verse 10. 14, 10. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will confess to God. Similarly in Philippians 2. 10 and 11. Uh, Starting verse 9. Therefore God exalted him to the place, talking about Jesus, exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Hebrews says that all things are. God left nothing that was not subject to him, yet at present we do not see everything subject to him. Right? He's been given all authority. He has conquered everything, uh, conquered death, conquered sin. 
and in the future, all things will be under his feet. What is he waiting on? What do y'all think he's waiting on? Us. He's, wa- he's waiting on us to be obedient to the point where he can come back for us. Um, what will trigger his father to say, okay, go get your bride, is to, that the bride has made herself ready. It's Revelation 19. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. It's, it's our responsibility to choose obedience. It's God's responsibility to do the work. But we have to choose to take that stand. And as long as we ignore or are blind to the battle with for which we are being prepared to fight, we're not going to be prepared. Um, the, the wedding feast that we see here in Revelations 19, where Jesus comes back for his bride and there's a celebration, immediately after is when they go and destroy the enemies one by one. They take them out. Jesus, Jesus doesn't want us for his bride just... Because he, he loves us. Right? He does love us. He's wanting to draw us out of the world so that we can go and smash the world and be done with it. But he's patient. He's not going to do it too quickly so that all who would come to him will. Thank you, Jesus. And yet at the same time, it's like the mindset of a lot of people in church is... You don't see a, a, what's the right word? There's no urgency. Why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you do everything that you can to bring that about? And at the same time, it's not like the enemy is giving you a break. The enemy doesn't take any days off. It's like Bill Belichick, no days off. There's some truth to that. We shouldn't take any days off. Uh, we come celebrating holidays is really good. But you know what? You know when is a really good time to celebrate the birth of Christ aside from Christmas? Every other day. And of course, right, if every day is a holiday, then no day is a holiday. But... We should have the same joy for Jesus coming to be our Savior on October the 3rd as we do December 25th. Especially when, especially that day. Um, I mean, there's over 300, I said. Uh, born in Bethlehem. Um Taken into Egypt, Hosea 11, he's taken to Egypt, brought back, right? Uh, angel appeared to, to Joseph, take your family, go to Egypt, and then after Herod was killed, brought him back. It's a picture that the Israel, Israelites themselves walked through of 
um, God promising Abraham before it happened, you'll be captive for what 400 years, and then I will I will take you out of Egypt and give you a land that I promised. Jesus does the same thing. Uh, the slaughter of innocent babies, Jeremiah 31. I'm going to read this one actually. Jeremiah 31.11. For the Lord will ransom Jacob and redeem them from the hand of those stronger than they. They will come and shout for joy on the heights of Zion. They will rejoice in the bounty of the Lord, the grain, the new wine, and the oil, the young of the flocks and the herds. They will be like a well-watered garden. They will sorrow no more. The maidens will dance and be glad and young men and old as well. I will turn their mourning into gladness. I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. I will satisfy the priests with with abundance, and my people will be filled with my bounty, declares the Lord. All that's great. This is what the Lord says. A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because her children are no more. It's a very weird transition. You go from God declaring that he will save his people, give them abundance. And yet he follows that up with a voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping, weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because her children are no more. This is obviously Herod. Once he realized the, the Magi have outwitted him and have been sent home a different way by the, by the angel, or in a dream or something. Uh, this is after a couple years, right? So he says, all right, we'll go, go there and just kill all the babies that are two years or younger. And that's when uh, God tells Joseph to take your family out, saves them by going to Egypt, ironically. Um, it's the same thing that happened at the time of Moses in Exodus where the Pharaoh, who did not remember Joseph and what he had done for Egypt, they enslaved the Israelites, and as the Israelites were still multiplying and gaining um, power, at least on a population level, his fear played out into him telling him to kill all the babies all the male babies. Um, it's the same thing we see today with abortion. The plans of the enemy do not change. In order to stop the plans of the God, the enemy doesn't ha- the enemy doesn't change. There's no creativity to him. It's the same thing over and over and over again. In order to try to thwart the plans of God, he attacks the people of God. And he attacks their children. He tries to kill them off. Um, he trades the truth of God for a lie. He makes people forget the consequences of what they do. Um, it's the same. <clears throat> it's the same evil that when the Israelites took 
the promised land they were told to wipe out, to, to not even leave one person alive that was there, and they failed. But because these were people who believed in God's Molech, Chemosh, and I don't know the others, but a lot of them had to deal with uh, child sacrifice. It's, um, it is evil. You see that he was, he was to be a prophet like Moses in Deuteronomy. And Moses tells the people that God will raise up another prophet like me. So in, in John 7, Jesus essentially says, this has been fulfilled. He brought the new covenant, Jeremiah 31. Uh, he became the perfect high priest, which was fulfilled in Hebrews 8. He was rejected by his own people. He was betrayed by one of his own followers. He was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. I got that specific. He was to be king. He was born in David's line. Um, Yeah, let's look at this one. Isaiah 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From the, from his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Isaiah 9. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from the time, from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Jeremiah 23. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. So then the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought us brought the Israelites up out of Egypt, but they will say as surely as the Lord lives who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the land of the north and out of all the countries where he had been banished, where he had banished them and they will live in their own land. Second Samuel seven. This was at the end of David's life. God promises David. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He 
is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever. Before me, your throne will be established forever. Obviously, this was fulfilled by Solomon and then further fulfilled by Jesus in the spiritual sense. Uh, With all of us who are children of God, when we do wrong, God punishes us with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. But it doesn't take away our love. Jesus fulfilled it perfectly such that he was able to take um, upon him all of our sins instead of his own. And in that way, he became the perfect sacrifice for us. This was fulfilled in Acts 2, in Matthew 28, in John 12. Revelations 19, he comes back as king. The purpose of... The importance of Jesus being king is the call that God had on on his people was that they would be kings and priests. Exodus 19, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Jesus walked out being a perfect king and being the perfect priest, right? The great high priest that Hebrews talks about. And in this way, at the end, in Revelations, he is able to fulfill, right? Revelations 1, he says, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom of priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. We become kings with him fully when he comes back and weds us and we enter into a a true royal lineage, right? By marrying into that family. Um, And yet we walk by faith in that now, knowing that will happen in the future. We walk by faith in that now as kings and priests. Even though it hasn't been accomplished, we call that into being by walking that out by faith. That is the that is the meaning of the spirit and the bride say come, right? When the when the bride can agree with the spirit in all things, they tell Jesus to come. But it's only when the bride can agree with the spirit in all things. So as the bride, which we are, as long as we resist and say no and thwart the will of God, we don't agree with him. Um, Death will be defeated. This is is one of my favorites. It goes back to Genesis 1. Genesis 3, 
from the beginning, after the serpent has tempted Adam and Eve, they have eaten the fruit, they have fallen. This is his curse to the serpent. Cursed are you above all livestock and all the wild animals who will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. We see that um, fulfilled in 1 Corinthians 15. There's a, a good representation of this. The power of sin is death. So, after Jesus has died and been resurrection, uh, been resurrected. Let me back up. First Corinthians fifteen fifty. So this is this is not only to Jesus. This is unto you. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit to the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For the perishable must close itself with the imperishable and the mortal with the immortal. When the perishable has been closed with the imperishable, the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your sting? Uh, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We see this um, in Revelations. Revelations 12 is sort of steps back from the narrative and you have uh, the picture of the woman and the dragon. And she was pregnant, cried out in pain. She was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns, and his tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child. The enemy's plans does not change. He tries to destroy God's people from childhood so that they won't grow up into becoming the kings that will defeat him. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God in his throne. And there was war in heaven. He was not strong enough. They lost their place. The ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, which leads the whole world astray. Now, then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God, the authority of his Christ, for the accuser of our brothers... The accuse, uh, who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him. How? By the power of the blood and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. It's the same thing we talked about from the very beginning that persecution is 
guaranteed as a way to test our faith so that we will be made perfect like Jesus. Um, But we will succeed because Jesus has already succeeded. The solution to the problem has been guaranteed from the beginning. Uh, The problem being sin was brought into the world through disobedience, uh, separated us from God, we will die. The solution that life will come into the world through Jesus who was obedient so that we can be made like Jesus so that we can be obedient and restore our unity with God. And this victory is not... um, This victory is first talked about to Abraham. Abraham was, was given promises by God several different iterations of them, right? So his first iteration is in Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abraham, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse you. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Fairly generic. All the peoples of earth will be blessed through you. Now, after a little bit of life experience and wisdom, God makes a covenant with Abraham in in 15, and he expands. It's the same promises. It's just expanded a little bit. As the sun was setting, this is 15, 12, Abraham fell into a deep sleep and a thick And dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in the country, not their own. They will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years, but I will punish the nations they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sins of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. The expansion of his promise was a guarantee of suffering. So after, after he had walked with God in, in his promises a little bit, not perfectly, mind you, God expands his promises to include a guarantee of suffering, which probably was not what Abraham wanted to hear. Abram, at this point, did not want to hear. And yet, that wasn't the end of it. Um, It's through the suffering that we're tested. Your faith is tested through suffering. God couldn't test Abraham's faith until he offered a suffering. That suffering being him waiting years and years and years for God to fulfill his promise. And when it seemed like all had been lost... Uh, Abraham gets a wise idea to sort of do it on his own. He has to learn from that. Learns that God will actually accomplish this thing. And then it's time for the final test. Will he, will he lay on the line everything that God promised him 
Or will he choose to love the thing that was promised over the one who promised it? Thankfully, he chose correctly. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And this is the final iteration of the promise. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies uh, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. It wasn't just that his descendants will be numerous. It was that they would take possession of the gates of their enemies. It was a promise to victory. You see this play all the way out to Revelations 11. Uh, actually, Revelation 7 with the calling of the 144,000, which are the tribes of Israel, immediately after the 144,000 are sealed, then the great multitude, which no one can count from every nation, tribe, and people and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb, they wore white robes and were holding palm branches, the white robes being the white robes of the bride that we see in Revelations 19. And this victory is seen in the exact same way that Jesus gained victory over his enemy. Revelations 11, the two witnesses, the complete church walking in complete obedience through the Spirit of God. What is their call? It's to testify to the world of God. And when they finish their testimony, the beast comes, overpowers them, and kills them. The world celebrates, but after three and a half days, the breath of life from God enters them, and they stood on their feet, and terror struck those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Come up here, and they went up to heaven in a cloud. While their enemies looked on, at that very hour there was a severe earthquake. In a tent of the cities collapsed, 7,000 people were killed in an earthquake, and the survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The victory that we will, that the bride will secure is the same victory Jesus had, that we will be defeated by our enemy. But because of our obedience, God will resurrect us in front of our enemy and glorify us in front of our enemy and take us into heaven to be united with him. It's the ultimate testimony of God to who his people are. We have testified to the world who God is. They kill us for it then God testifies back to the world, this is the bride that I loved. The inheritance that we share with Jesus, right? That we, we share a name with him. If we are sons of God, we are heirs, co-heirs with Christ. Indeed, we share in the sufferings in order that we may also share in the glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. This inheritance of sonship is that we get to share in Jesus' calling, 
His name. We get to share. What is the name of God? You see the name of God be revealed before Abraham, uh, before Moses in Exodus 34. The Lord, the Lord God, the, compa- uh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the fathers of the third and fourth generation. That's the name of the Lord that we share with Jesus. That God is merciful, but does not let his enemy go. It's a testimony of grace and of victory over the wicked. That is the inheritance to which the bride is called, that we would share that name with Jesus, um, that we would enter into his calling, not just as kings, but as priests, that we would be able to serve God as pillars in his temple forever, that his name would be written on us just as it's written on Jesus. Father, I thank you for these people. I thank you for the promises that you lay before us that we can choose to be made just like you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we want to be made just like Jesus. So we invite you to come do your work in us. It's beyond us. It's nothing that we can do. And you get all the glory for it. But there's nothing that we want except for you. We give you our lives. We give you our understanding. It's all to you, Jesus. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that you are Lord. And we do. You are our Lord. And we want to love you forever. In Jesus' name, amen.